Well, if you'd like to sit now, I think, I'm hoping, Hastings is going to come and read. The first reading is taken from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on page 141 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we continue to hear about the role played by the vibrant church in Antioch in fulfilling Jesus' commission to the disciples to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of the Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John also to assist them. After they had proclaimed the good news to the city of Derby and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, then on to Iconium and Antioch. There they strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. And after they had appointed elders for them in each church, with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had come to believe. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had completed. When they arrived, they called the church together and related all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. And they stayed there with the disciples for some time. The second reading is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 17, beginning at verse 15. It can be found on page 119 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus prays for all disciples as we are sent into the world as his representatives. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Hazel. Good morning and 
and, and welcome. Shall we pray together? So Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the words of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So anyway, a week last Tuesday morning, um, I was in Salisbury with the rest of my clergy colleagues as we'd gone over for this time to meet the new bishop-to-be. And so we spent about an hour or so with the new bishop of Salisbury. And if you were to say to me afterwards, well, what did I learn about the the bishop? Well, I'd, I'd probably tell you three things. The first thing I'd tell you is how he has a particular love of cliff path walking. So don't be surprised if the first picture that you see of him in the media in Jersey is of him on a cliff path. You heard it here first. Secondly, the second thing I'd tell you is that he, he likes Tottenham Hotspur. I know, I sighed too. I was... I tell you what I found out about my clergy colleagues. It's amazing when a bishop speaks and then suddenly I found out. Some of these people I've known for 11 and a half years and I've never had a conversation about football with them. And all of a sudden they'd be, I suddenly found out you're all closet football fans. Or so they claimed. So this was what I was really tempted to ask him. You know who Tottenham Hotspur's most famous fan is, don't you? And it's not Richard Renner. So the bishop has spent the last 10 years in a cathedral in Gloucester. So I was really tempted to ask him whether he could sing as well as Adele can, but I didn't. Instead, I said, well, bishop, we all have our crosses to bear, and it's Lent. And I reminded him about a particular football result from a few weeks ago from the team that I supported against Tottenham Hotspur. He took it well, I think. But more importantly, here's the, here's the third thing that I remember about what the bishop said to us that day. He spoke about the importance of, if you like, the church resetting. And the church thinking much more, rather than being defined by what we're against. Because that's often how the church is defined, isn't it? So often these days. But rather... How can we be good news? How can we be good news in our own individual community context within our own various church traditions? Good news. If we think about it, the words that Jesus used, wasn't it, to start his Galilean ministry at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Good news, those words when we were looking at the five marks of mission during autumn and we spoke about the first mark of mission, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and actually the one from which all the other four marks of mission flow from. And yet the one perhaps the church today is least confident about. Good news. And good news, those words that actually we could talk about when it comes to this church in Antioch that we've been looking at through Lent that became, that was born out of disruption born out of persecution, born out of tribulation, and became the focal point of Jesus' words and fulfilling Jesus' words to take the church to the ends of the earth. Good news. 
And during this season of Lent, we've been looking at five habits, if you like, that correspond to five values as to what this church in Antioch was like, of how they were good news, of how they were a generous church through the practice of blessing, of how they were a hospitable church by how they opened up their homes and were eating with one another, and how they were a Christ-like community through their habit of learning about Jesus. And so today we're going to move on to look at the final two habits that we see, for me, that correspond to two values from this particular church. Here's the first one, that they were a community who were led by the Holy Spirit as they listened to his voice for how they should engage with all those around them. It's as if when we read the stories of the Church of Antioch, they did nothing before first listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, here are just three examples from the readings that we've been reading through, through Lent. They were a community that proclaimed the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and the grace of God was seen. All three tangible signs, if you like, of the Holy Spirit leading a church. Also, we read, we, didn't we, of how they gave funds to the Jerusalem church as a result of the famine prophesied by the prophet Agabus. And then this morning, they set about Barnabas and Paul as they're worshipping God together. And they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that started, didn't it? It's incredible how that particular meeting, how that particular church service, however we wanted to define it, set forth the rest of the ministry of so much of the New Testament. So let me ask you a question this morning. How do you hear the Holy Spirit speak to you? How are you led by the Holy Spirit in listening to his voice in your life, in your relationships at work, in your decision-making? You know, if we were to to sit down for for a drink... And I was to ask you that question. How would we respond? Or if you were to ask me that question, how would I respond? See, here's how I would respond. I would start and talk first of all about, firstly, we have to hear the Spirit of God, don't we? We have to hear his voice in the first place. And if you were to say to me, well, how do you hear the Holy Spirit in? And I would say, well, For me, I hear him, first of all, through his written word, through this book as I'm reading it. It's amazing, isn't it, how we can be reading this book and we might be wanting some guidance in life or there might be a particular situation that we're facing that we're not quite sure how to handle. Or we may just be struggling with something and we just want to be encouraged. And it's as if the words jump off the page, isn't it? So writer to the Hebrews says, no, no, the word of God is living and active. And it's amazing, isn't it, when that happens? Isn't it amazing when those words that have been written centuries before just speak into our own individual context? But I also know in my life that I hear his whisper. I hear the spoken Word of God. In Greek, that word is rima. In Hebrew, it's ruach, the breath of God. As Elijah heard, the still, 
small voice of God in the cave. That might come just through a prompting in my life, as I'll tell you about in a moment. It might come through creation as we're walking about. Maybe on those cliff paths, the heavens declare the glory of God. And it has no voice, but day by day, pours forth speech in the words of C.S. Lewis's favorite psalm, Psalm 19. It might be through other people, as was the case in Antioch, through a prophecy. We have to hear, firstly, the Holy Spirit's voice. But secondly, we have to know it's him, don't we? Because that's part of the, the, the problem in it and listening to the Holy Spirit's voice is, how do I know, God, that this is what you're wanting me to do? How do I know it's really you? And, when, and if, you were to, if we were just sat having a, a conversation over a table and you said to me, well, how do I know it's God speaking to me? How do I know it's the Holy Spirit? You see, I always go back to this. The words that, that Jesus spoke in John 10 when he describes himself as the good shepherd and he says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. And over time, you become more and more experienced at, at hearing his voice. Sometimes I'll put these filters in. I'll ask, well, is what God's saying to me, do I think there's a scriptural mandate for it? Or do I think it's in tune with God's character? Or is it going to be wise what he's asking me to do? Or is it in line with who I am? And if I'm still not sure, I'll go and ask other people and say, well, what do you think? What do you think? I think God might be saying this. What do you think? You see, because when, when we think about it, I mean, I was just chatting to Brian between the services. But I was, I was thinking about my own life. When I think about my own life, huge changes have come. Huge changes have come because of hearing the Holy Spirit speak to me, of being led by his voice. In fact, the only reason I'm standing here this morning it's because of that. I remember it as if it was yesterday. It was about 5.25 on a Monday afternoon in mid-May of 2010. And I'm coming back into Shrewsbury Rail Station, having played cricket earlier for, for Litchfield Diocese, or they were the days. And as I, as I arrived, George arrives in the car, into the car park. And so I put my cricket kit into the boot and I sit down. And then she said the words which changed the trajectory of our lives for the next 11 years. You may wonder what those words were, some particular Bible verse or something like that. I'll tell you what they were in a minute. You see, at that time, we were about to enter the final year of our curacy. And we realistically, we needed to know within the next six months where we might be going. But where? Where would God want us to go next? The conversations had started. There'd been quite a few with different churches. It was causing some uncertainty till that day. And the words John said, they weren't some Bible verse. They weren't some deep, profound truth. I'll tell you what the words were, were these. I remember them as if it was yesterday. The very reverend Robert Key remember him, Dean of Jersey, had phoned you up this morning inquiring if you'd be possibly interested in applying for this post here. And in that moment, everything changed. You think, well, they're just some random words. You just got this phone call from this particular vicar or whatever. 
or rector, dean. But quite literally, something moved inside of me. The only way I've ever found to be able to articulate what that was was a bit like how Luke records in his gospel. You know the moment where a pregnant Mary goes to visit her older cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. And Mary comes and greets her. And the moment that Mary greets Elizabeth, it says that the child leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And something just lifted inside of me. The particular sensation of the Holy Spirit speaking. And I knew in that moment, whatever levels of trust would have to be carried out, our lives had changed. The rest is history. So let's go back to that question. How do you know in your own life that you are being led by the Holy Spirit? And so the habit I want to try to encourage us to think about this week is to take at least one period this week to just listen for the Holy Spirit's voice in your life and to keep practicing this every week. For the more we do it, it doesn't necessarily become easier, as some of us will know. And it's not a magic formula because it's not like we can just put a coin in the slot machine and say, God speak. For God's relational, isn't he? He's not transactional. But we do become better at distinguishing his voice. As Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. For me, what that means is that you've got to take the time. You know, you can't just do that and just demand God to speak to you. I mean, he might, but it doesn't happen that often in my experience. You can't do it when you're frazzled or when, when we're distracted, can we? You know, what were they doing in the church of Antioch? You could do it in a community. So often, sometimes God has spoken to me when I'm gathered in this place or sometimes when I'm gathered in St. George's and I'm leading a service. Maybe that's happened for you, but that's what they were doing in Antioch, weren't they? They were worshipping God together. It might be that you can do that in your homes too. Of course you can. Start listening to some worship music. We could soak, immerse ourselves in scripture. We could start with a centering prayer like be still and know that I am God. We could combine it with what they were doing, weren't they? In Antioch we read at least three times in those Bible readings. They were fasting, weren't we? To take a moment this week, maybe a moment where we might sit and have lunch or, or breakfast or evening an evening meal and just not have it and take that time to just start to listen for the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. And then we just wait for the Lord, don't we? We wait in hope for the Lord as the psalmist said. Sometimes God will speak to me. Sometimes, other times it won't. But what I find when I do do this, I don't know if you find it as well, is in the words of as what the psalmist would say elsewhere, you kind of come away from that time like a weaned child, content in your soul. And then what usually happens is, I'll be driving somewhere, and God will just start to speak. Not as dramatically as in that rail station car park often, but that's how he just speaks. My sheep know his voice. So that's the next habit to think about. And then this final habit in this series that we'll just look at briefly 
is, as we see in the text, they were a people who didn't just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, did they? But they were sent. They were a missional people, a mi- missional means being sent, being ejected almost, being propelled outward. Because at the heart of God's DNA, isn't it, is his missional nature. Ultimately, we see this in the way he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And then before his death and resurrection, Jesus said, and I will send the Holy Spirit. And of course, we know both before his ascension, just before his ascension and on the night before he died, as we heard in our gospel reading, as the Father has sent me into the world, he said to his followers, so I I'm sending you. You know, so often we get this the wrong way around, don't we? We think there is a church because there is a mission. It's not that the church of God has a mission in the world, but the God of mission who has a church in the world. And the church in Antioch were just this living testimony to Jesus' words. Just as in Antioch, they'd listen to the Spirit's voice. They then were sent out and acted on it. Yes, okay, we could see it in the big movement, like I said earlier, of Paul and Barnabas. And that move to the word of God and Jesus' message, the good news spreading to the Gentiles, but just by everyone in that community, in their everyday lives as they went about the city, you know, in their homes with their families, in their workplaces, in their community as they gathered. You may remember over the past six months, I've been trying to encourage us to think about some, uh, one particular word. It to- it's talked about a lot by the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, of how as followers of Jesus Christ... We're all sent by God to our front lines. And that front line is defined as an everyday place. It could be where we live. It could be where we work. It could be where we study. It could be where we play. Where we're most likely to connect with people who aren't Christians. Where we can make an impact for Christ because each of us are sent by him. Not just sent on a Sunday but sent all through our lives that our job is our God job, that our home is our God home, that our leisure activities are our God activities. And so the habit to try this week is to maybe take that moment once more and start to, as you listen to the spirit of God's voice and as you listen to his leading, also start to ask, well, where are you sending me at the moment? Maybe you might be able to recall a time during this past week where you might have just been able to minister God's love into a particular situation where you might have been sent all through the week. And there's some some questions in the handout that you can ask to think about in that way. Because when it comes down to it, as we've looked at each week in this series, being Christian, if you like, the thing that defined this 
church in Antioch that was seen by everybody outside and just said, well, how do you describe this group of people? What sort of name do you give it? And they just called it Christian. Being Christian or growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it, it only happens with intentionality, doesn't it? You know, I hear it so often these, these days about church. I hear it here in this place. I hear it at St. George's. I hear it with, 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 in every church in this island. I hear it all across the world as we continue to come through COVID. And those that just haven't returned because they've just got out of the habit. You see, what we attend to shapes our lives. And what we do daily shapes our lives the most will never change our life until we change something we do daily it's where the secret of our success is found Jesus said go and be my witnesses Jerusalem in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth it required intentionality as the church in Antioch were sent out Paul and Barnabas. And as they were sent out into their city to be this community of blessing, of eating, of learning, of listening, and being sent. So maybe we might learn from them and complete that work in the words of Bishop Stephen of being good news in our community an island. So Lord, we pray, knowing that your purposes are good and that you will do everything that you have promised. Your love is eternal. Complete the work you have begun. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.